A very good evening and welcome to Africa Digest 17 hour Central African time. You are listening to Channel Africa where we continue to give you news from an African perspective. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. We are online on www.channelafrica.co.za. My name is Luanda Maume. I'm your standing host for today. And with me on the show is Jolani Chulo, Tracy Bumgard and Neto Chamani. Top stories now. Demonstrations and sit-ins are underway in the DRC for the country's people to protest against attacks targeting foreigners here in South Africa. Cruising is becoming a popular holiday destination and the industry continues to see growth. And in economics, China and the U.S. agree to resume trade talks in early next month. And in sport, uh, former Springbok captain uh, says that the team has what it takes to go the distance at this year's Rugby World Cup in Japan. Details on these and other stories as we progress with the show right now. It's a minute after five. Here's Jolani with your news. SABC News. Independent and impartial from an african perspective thank you luanda good afternoon South Africa's President Cyril Ramaphosa says he will consider a number of measures, including stiffer penalties and a possible state of emergency to combat violence against women. The President was addressing activists outside Parliament who were dressed in black and were demanding action to end gender-based violence. Ramaphosa says he will address the nation later in the day on the matter. The protest was sparked by a string of gender-based violence cases, including the brutal rape and murder of University of Cape Town student Uine Nemkhwekiana. President Ramaphosa says such crimes can no longer be tolerated. Tomorrow, I will be going to the Eastern Cape, to the home of your colleague who passed away, Uyinan. It is important that we continue as a nation to show our solidarity, to show our care and compassion. We've also made calls that we should declare a state of emergency. Yes, I will be addressing precisely that issue as well. Meanwhile, a number of people demonstrating near the World Economic Forum and Africa meeting against gender violence have been arrested after police fired stun grenades and used a water cannon. The group is close to the International Convention Center where the World Economic Forum meeting is taking place. They were part of a breakaway group which earlier converged outside Parliament. Many are dressed in black. There is a large police presence in the CBD with officers dressed in riot gear. Country's Minister of International Relation and Cooperation, Naledi Pandor, has expressed disappointment at having to take the decision to support the closure of the South African High Commission in Abuja and the Consulate in Lagos. Both offices were closed on Tuesday following concerns reported to the minister by officials at both these missions. This followed the receipt of threats against the mission staff as well as the property of South Africa. Nigeria says although there has been no direct physical threat to any of our diplomats, and citizens. However, it is a precautionary measure. The minister also expressed displeasure at misleading reports circulating on social media about a direct physical attack on the acting head of the mission. 
The Catholic Church in Zimbabwe will officially launch the cause for humanitarian worker John Brad Burns' canonization. The BBC's Shingai Nyoka has the story. Today marks 40 years since John Bradburn was gunned down on the side of a road in Mutemwa, northeast Zimbabwe. Hundreds of people are expected to attend a church service where arguments for and against his canonization will be heard. The son of an English vicar, Bradburn moved to the then Rhodesia in the 1960s, living in a tin hut, often close to starvation. He cared for lepers, refusing to leave them as a civil war raged. And finally, the World Health Organization has issued a warning of the risk of an epidemic of the waterborne disease cholera in eastern Niger as floods continue to swamp the area. More than 40 people have died during this year's rainy season. More than 65,000 people are now stranded because of the floods, which have destroyed more than 5,000 homes. I'll be back with headlines at 5.30. For Channel Africa, I'm Cholani Tulo. SABC News. Independent and impartial. From an African perspective. Achieving brand excellence is quite an accomplishment in itself, and Global Brands Awards were designed to highlight the accomplishments on a global arena attended by global leaders from across different geographies. We very much hope that you will join us for what will be an enjoyable evening to commemorate the top brands from across the globe. Join Channel Africa on Friday at 1900 hours Central African time as we broadcast to you live from the Global Brands Awards at Empress Palace near Johannesburg. Channel Africa, bringing you the African perspective. Building Africa with love. Bujambo Africa. If there are holes in this continental ship, we are its children. Let us go and stop the holes. Let us gladly do it with our hearts. And if we cannot, then let us die. We will make a plug of our brains and put them into the ship, but condemn it never. Catch us on Channel Africa from 10 to 11 a.m. every Friday and Sundays from 5 a.m. to 6 a.m. Welcome back uh, to Africa Digest here on Channel Africa, where we continue to give you news from an African perspective. My name is Luanda Maume. Thank you very much for joining us. It is uh, seven minutes after five Central African time. Demonstrations and sit-ins are underway in the Democratic Republic of Congo to protest against attacks targeting foreigners here in South Africa. This happens after Congolese people living in South Africa have been reported to be among the victims. Protesters are warning South Africans should know what's going on in South Africa can be done against their compatriots in the, in the DRC as well. Janwell Pomwenze on the story. He's in Kinshasa. It's a series of demonstrations and sit-ins that have started this Thursday here in the Democratic Republic of Congo in order to protest against attacks targeting foreigners in South Africa. The Democratic Republic of Congo's people are very angry after it has been reported that Congolese are among the victims of the xenophobic attacks. Some of the organizations have demonstrated this Thursday and among them is the civil movement well known as Civil Engagement for Change. Fred Chinanu is one of the movement's leaders. Our demonstration is in South Africa. They are killing the Congolese there. 
and uh, we disagree with uh, that. That's why we are today in the road. All of the Congolese against the South African people are doing their killing the Congolese people and uh, all of the strangers who live in uh, South Africa. And we are calling all our residents of uh, Africa so that they can say something so that they can stop that the South Africans are doing. They must stop uh, killing the Congolese death. They must stop uh, if they continue. We'll also kill the South Africans that uh, are living here in uh, DRC. There is many businessmen that African here. If they continue to kill our uh, brother and sister at their country, we'll start the business, uh, the South African uh, business here in, in Congo and demand them to return to the country. We are demand to our president, Felix uh, Tsekedi, to do his best so that he must call his uh, homologue. Uh, president of the South African, they must tell to so that they can stop is the president of the Congolese who lives here and the Congolese who is in the stranger country. Angry protesters have attacked some of the businesses owned by South Africans, such as ShopRite in Lubumbashi in the Hokatanga province, and warned they will destroy South Africa's consulate in Lubumbashi if the South African government is unable to educate its citizens. And among the organizations planning to demonstrate this Friday is this movement well known as the Chisekedis Builders Army. One of its leaders has warned South Africans to stop such a behavior and emphasize the Congolese are also able to do what's being done in South Africa since South Africans used to forget they are Africans as well. Bavon Mukunai. They have to stop doing what they are doing. They are forgetting that in our country. We know some places they are they are South African men. We got your party and our Congolese for Congolese people. It's for South African men. So if we are able to decide today, we're going to make them fight. Fighting them and killing them too. They have to stop doing what they are doing because we are ready to destroy everything because in our country there are many things from South Africa there and we are putting all it down because you know we are brothers they are shopping they are shops here there are many people from South Africa to invest in our country and getting money in our country but we are only quiet but I think it seems like we are not able to invest now in our own country we are able as we know we are brothers we are the same skin and we are thinking the same mind that's why we can do anything for them that's why we are asking them to be because Congo people now they are very upset they are so upset they are waiting only another reaction when they're gonna do it everywhere in the world they're gonna understand and they're gonna we're gonna shame we're gonna, gonna show them that as Congolese people not only Congolese people Africa's people they are also strong now we can't we know some places they are they are South African men some of the Congolese have told the Channel Africa the current situation might trouble relations between South Africa and the DRC in case Congolese would react the same way against the South Africans living here in the Democratic Republic of Congo Jean-Noël Bamweze for Channel Africa in Kinshasa. South African police have voiced concerns at the circulation of fake news on social media that could incite more violence. This after several videos and pictures suggesting that some schools were burning and children have, had been kidnapped by foreign nationals were being circulated. The concerns come as 289 people were arrested for the violence that has been playing out in and around Johannesburg and Pretoria. For more on this, Channel Africa spoke to Kaylee Clifford, researcher at fact-checking organization Africa Check. 
We know that xenophobic unrest has flared up again in Gauteng. We've, we've seen the reports of looting and violence in Pretoria and Johannesburg. And of course, the situation is receiving quite a lot of attention on social media. And we've seen several images and videos being shared supposedly showing this violence. And um, some of our readers got in touch with us to check if they were real or not. Unfortunately, what we found is that, like you say, most of them are actually unrelated to the recent outbreak of violence. Now, what is it that can be done at this time? You know, and I know that at a time like this, emotions are running high, tensions are high. And, you know, uh, most of the time people get these videos because they're desperate to get a sense of what's happening on the ground. What is it that people can do to sort of verify that this is indeed um, a factual information that I'm getting through this uh, uh, clip or or text or so? So there are a couple of quick and easy ways that you can verify pictures and videos before sharing them. And anyone on social media or with a smartphone can do this. And possibly the easiest thing to do is actually just have a look at the comments and the replies before you mm. share. Because often there's someone there who has some kind of prior knowledge or is raising really good questions about the post's authenticity or its origin. And if you don't have any like there, we like to do what we call a reverse image search. So this is when you upload um, either the picture or a screenshot from a video into mm-hmm. Google reverse image search. Mm. And what it does is it scans the internet for any previous versions of the image. So if something was meant to have happened yesterday, yet you see it's been online since 2017, that's mm. an immediate red flag. Mm. Um, and it will also pick up related articles or videos that could um, suggest the image's origin. Let's talk a little bit, Kaylee, about the harmful consequences um, of, of such practices, um, particularly in such turbulent times. Yeah, I mean, the attacks are ongoing and it is concerning. So we understand that people share these images and videos out of concern or because they want to draw attention to the issues. But as you said earlier, it also has the potential to cause further tension and division. And if we want to solve a problem, we really need to first understand it. Um, we shouldn't confuse that process by sharing old and misleading content. Um, the other thing is that it causes panic. Uh, a lot of that is related to the speed with which this news travels. I mean, just yesterday we heard so-called reports about children being kidnapped from schools in Katlehong and parents rush to remove their children from school only to later find out that, you know, no such thing was happening. So it, it does lead to panic and it's it's also quite a personal issue that people have strong feelings and opinions about that people are emotionally invested and sometimes these posts play on that. So it's really important to in that moment, just take a step back and really think, why am I reacting to this? Uh-huh. Um, you can ask yourself, who who wrote this message? Can we trust them? Can we verify the claims? Um, Is it something that makes me angry or upset? And what is it that's making me react? What other mechanisms, Kaylee, can uh, we use as messaging? You know, apart from, you know, you as Africa Check having these conversations with us, um, uh, with platforms like Channel Africa, what mechanisms can be used to sort of get the messaging out there? Because um, I do feel like the information is certainly not getting um, to the ordinary man on the street who um, is is sort of gullible, if you like. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, and and like I say, the speed with which this stuff travels Mm, is absolutely mm. vital that before we click the share button, just take a moment to really think about what we're about to share. And it's also not enough that you you just refrain from sharing. If you see someone else who has shared something old or misleading, it's important to set the record straight, either by, you know, posting links to the original source, you've perhaps seen the video somewhere else so you know that it's of an old incident, 
it's important to point that out so that we can spread the message even further. Um, because at the end of the day, you know, it's, it's not about belittling people and pointing them out and saying, ha, you know, you were wrong. It's really about educating people about um, sharing responsibly. Yeah. Responsibly, yes. Now, in cases where, um, of course, we've seen um, these posts, and as you say, you know, it moves so quickly that the post mm-hmm. go, goes viral um, so quickly that you don't really have time to say, stop, this is not true. Uh, we know that as Africa Check, you have approached um, the Gauteng South African Police Service for one. Um, what has been the response, you know, um, uh, two cases um, of this manner? Yeah, so that, that was in a relation to a video we saw posted on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Um, it shows rows of men lying face down on the ground in front of a large building. And um, behind them, you can see more men walking sort of in single file with their hands in the air. And you see South African policemen giving them instructions. And this was posted to Twitter um, with the allegation being that these were Nigerians facing deportation in South Africa. Um, So what we did was we captured a screenshot from Mm. the video Mm. and we searched Google for the image. And immediately what came up was an article in The Citizen from May 2018. An article basically explains how there was a cash and transit heist in Boxburg and police chased down the perpetrators to the George Gach hostel. So that's actually the building you see in the, the video. Mm. The search was conducted, the residents were made to um, come out of the building and they were searched and four men were arrested. Mm. Um, and that's when we got in touch with the Gauteng South African Police Service to find out a bit more about what happened. At the time of publishing, they were yet to respond to us. So the exact details around the incident are unclear. But what we do know mm-hmm. is that this video has been online since at least May 2018. So that's long before the latest flare-up of violence, which means it can't possibly show events of the last few days. That is Kaylee Clifford. She's a researcher at Africa Czech. She was on the line talking there to Zikona Miso. That brings us uh, just a few minutes shy of the 18 minutes after 5 Central African time. You are still with Africa Digest here on Channel Africa where we continue to give you news from an African perspective. Remember, you can keep in touch with us. It's info at channelafrica.co.za on email and on WhatsApp it's plus 27763003327 and on Twitter it's at channelafrica1. We continue with show right after this across the globe every second there's always a breaking story what we want to achieve is a healthy and vibrant economy which can ensure full employment to our people the government concurs with the views of the black economic empowerment council report that it is now necessary to make our policies on black economic empowerment more explicit. Last May, I asked constituencies at NETLEC to discuss youth employment incentives. I'm pleased that discussions have been concluded and that agreement has been reached on key principles. We are on an ambitious drive to industrialize, to attract investment, and to create more jobs for the youth of our country. They don't have jobs. Tried looking for a job for a year and a half now. The challenges were periods and the, the level of education which I have. Channel Africa. 
It's 19 minutes after five. Now, Mala, about 850 Malawi Defence Force soldiers who are on peacekeeping duties in the DRC have been since last week been under quarantine before they are returned home this weekend to ensure they do not have the deadly Ebola virus. The Ebola outbreak was declared in August last year in the DRC, including in the northern and southern Kivu and Ituri areas, with 2,997 confirmed cases and 1,998 deaths reported. George Mango reports from Plantaya. Minister of Defense and the Minister of Health Authority has confirmed, saying this is in line with necessary measures as required by the World Health Organization, WHO, in a bid to ensure that nobody contracts the Ebola disease while in the Democratic Republic of Congo. Authorities said the Malawi Defense Force soldiers, 850 of them, are in a UN village in the DRC undergoing thorough screening and observations of their medical conditions. From the statement, it was clear that the health element was a priority in the announcement from Capitol Hill that the troops would return home between September 4 and September 11 this year. Joshua Malango, spokesperson for the Ministry of Health in Malawi, said upon arrival, the Minister of Defense, in collaboration with the Minister of Health, will again screen all the troops for Ebola infection. Uh, these soldiers, before they leave uh, the LRC, they are finally uh, uh, going through the screening processes, and the screening process is continuously happening in the DLRC to ensure. So, if if we if we have been detected that one of the, one of the any uh, one of the soldiers, good morning soldiers, has that virus, there is no way uh, United Nations or WHO can allow that person to that put into a train to go into another country. He said after the screening exercise and their return, the soldiers will be actively followed up and monitored in their respective duty stations twice daily for 21 days for any sign and symptoms of Ebola. The United Kingdom two weeks ago provided about £478,000 to UNICEF for Ebola preparedness and prevention work in Malawi. The financial assistance came following news that about 500 refugees and asylum seekers mostly from the Democratic Republic of Congo enter Malawi every month. Security expert Brave Piri, who once attended a preparedness meeting with regards to Ebola, said the country has put in place measures to counter the disease. Yeah, the Minister of Health has put uh, strategic, uh, strategic uh, things that they should do, curtail the Ebola outbreaks. Uh, like for instance, in all borders of Malawi, mainly the airports, they have put uh, the machinery which does detect the Ebola. So anybody coming in the country will be detected easily that he has Ebola or not. And also in the major hospitals, there are some of these machineries which does detect people with Ebola. And the quarantine have been put in place to curtail if the Ebola outbreak starts in our country. Malawi and other countries in the southern Africa region are at potential risk of Ebola, according to the World Health Organization. The UN body has since declared the Ebola outbreak in the DRC as public health emergency of international concern. But with such funding from the UK, 500 health workers from nine districts will be trained to prevent, detect, treat and manage Ebola. UNICEF will procure supplies to ensure that the nine districts are prepared for any potential outbreak. Again, for Joshua Malango, spokesperson for the Minister of Health, this is in tandem 
with the Ministry of Health Port Health Standard Operating Procedures. So we will keep on checking them even at their camps, as well as you know, staying in their private homes. They will keep on checking them almost on a daily basis for the next 21 days, just to, wish to, to ensure that uh, they are safe. But as we have said, as we have always been saying, Currently, another Malawian contingent of troops, which will immediately replace the returnees, have been trained in preparation for the DRC mission. The MDF battalion has been in the DRC for a year-long tour of duty under the United Nations Force Intervention Brigade (FIB). Under the FIB, the Malawi troops are operating alongside other peacekeepers from Tanzania and South Africa. They are charged with the mission of neutralizing armed groups in the DRC's North Kivu through joint combat missions from time to time. The MDF lost six soldiers during one of its fights with the enemies of peace in the DRC in November last year. The bodies of those who died were flown back home for burial after that fight. Two other MDF soldiers are missing to this day. George Mhango, Channel Africa, Blantyre. Cruising is becoming a popular holiday destination and the industry continues to see growth. This is South Africa celebrates Tourism Month, an annual celebration held in September to focus on the importance of tourism to the economy. The month-long campaign provides the tourism industry with the opportunity for a heightened focus on the importance of tourism to the local economy. It also serves as an opportunity to promote promote domestic tourism and create a culture of travel. MSC Cruises recently announced it will be bringing two ships to South Africa's shores for the 2020-2021 cruise season. More from Ross Falk, Managing Director of MSC's Cruises South Africa. So MSC announced the arrival of two ships in 2021 uh, to South African shores for the second time. The first time was 2013-2014, but the difference now is that we are operating two different class vessels with much higher capacity. So in 2021, we are likely to have around 170,000 passengers uh, going on uh, cruises in South Africa with the two ships. One home ported in Durban, which is the larger vessel, and the other one in Cape Town, which is the slightly smaller vessel of MSC Opera. And generally, how would you describe the cruise liner industry? Are you seeing a whole lot of interest? I mean, not specifically job-wise. I mean, people who are actually taking these cruises, is there a pickup or is there a certain period of the year where you're seeing a lot of interest? So I think cruising is becoming a really popular holiday destination for a number of reasons. One, it's all-inclusive in many cases, so you don't have to worry about entertainment, food. Uh, in South Africa, specifically children under the age of 18 cruise-free, they only pay mandatory charges. So it is a great offering, product offering for people. So we're seeing quite a large interest in cruising across uh, all demographics in South Africa, which is fantastic to see. And one of the timings of it is November through to April is predominantly the best months because it's summer in South Africa and people like to do things outdoors. South Africans have a tendency to go into a little bit of a, a hibernation element in winter. So we do see a lot higher demand in the summer months uh, within the Southern African space. And with September being tourism month, do you see a spike during that month or people just book cruises throughout the year? There's really no month that has a different spike. It's dependent on price, dependent on availability. So there isn't one month that has a bigger demand than others. So even though it's tourism month, I think that's more the awareness of tourism in South Africa rather than a booking channel for us. So we see consistent cruise bookings across the year, which is great for us because it's a continuous process. 
And let's talk more about job creation. What mechanisms are there for people who want to join MSC? So we have a very strong South African contingent on board the ships, um, and it's a very popular destination for us to source our crew members because South Africa offers a great diversity in terms of cultures. Um, because of the diversity in South Africa, we find that a lot of our uh, staff on board that are South African are very quick to assimilate. They are very good with our guests uh, because they're able to embrace different uh, cultures and diversity. So we're introducing through Cargo, uh, which is uh, our holding company, a Shosha Lawzo Academy, which is going to employ a number of youth over the next five years into or on board our MSC cruise vessels. So that mechanism is basically we will train people for free um, and we will then pay them on their first contract in South Africa. Well, we'll pay them through the, the normal mechanisms, but they will then earn the salary offshore and be able to bring it back to South Africa. How many countries does MSC go to and are the specific ones that are popular when you see the bookings coming so globally, we visit 211 destinations across five continents in the world. There's far too many to mention. And different destinations have different appeal for different people. So from a South African perspective, we see a great number of people going through to Mozambique because it's nice and warm. Beaches are very nice. It's quite uh, an aesthetically pleasing country in terms of uh, the foliage and beaches available. We also see a large number of people going to Volfus Bay. Obviously, for cultural heritage, it used to be part of South Africa. It has a strong sort of historical element. For South Africans going overseas internationally, uh, we see a big demand within the Mediterranean. So people want to go and see the cultures of uh, the East and West Med, so Greece, Italy, uh, Spain, and France. Uh, but we, we sell to all destinations, and we see South Africans going across the globe. And equally internationally, we see a, a wide variety of people going to different destinations. So we really have something that can fit any particular person's palate in terms of tourism. Do you want the culture? Great, we've got an opportunity to go there. Do you have something unique? Well, we've got an Ocean K island that we've built in the Caribbean. Do you want something a little bit more culturally diverse? Well, you can go out to the Far East in Japan and China. Uh, the Emirates you can go to. Do you want a beach holiday? That's a South African opportunity for you to go as well. So there's a really, there is a destination for all seasons and for all people in the product offering of MSC globally. That is Ross Falk, Managing Director for MSC Cruises, South Africa, speaking there to Ntlantla Matlangu. That brings us to half past five. Let's get your news headlines. Yes, Roland Tulo. This is SABC News. Independent and impartial. From an African perspective. Thank you, Luanda. Making headlines, South Africa's President Cyril Ramaphosa says he will consider a number of measures, including stiffer penalties and a possible state of emergency to combat violence against women in the country. Still in South Africa, Minister of International Relations and Cooperation, Naledi Pando, has expressed disappointment at having to take the decision to support the closure of the South African High Commission in Abuja and the Consulate in Lagos. And finally, the World Health Organization has issued a warning of the risk of an epidemic of the waterborne disease cholera in eastern Niger as floods continue to swamp the area. For Channel Africa, I'm Chola Nutulo. SABC News. Independent and impartial. From an African perspective. I'm an actress. I'm a motivational speaker. Born with organism. Um, the nurse first asked my mother, is your husband white? My mother said, no, why are you asking me that question? When I grow up, 
there was no publication of personal albinism disappearing, mm. being stolen. You see, it was happening, but there was no exposure as it happening now. Hi, I'm Kule Mulebazi, the presenter of the Albinism Report, a program that demystifies myths and mysticism on albinism, highlighting challenges and achievements of people with albinism. Tune into the Albinism Report on the following times. Monday, 5 past 9 in the morning to quarter to 10 Central African time. And from 5 past 10 to quarter to 11 Central African time. Tuesday at 5 past 2 in the morning to quarter to 3 Central African time. The Albinism Report, an enlightened narrative with me, Bule Mulebati, on Channel Africa from an African perspective. Welcome back. Statistics South Africa now reports that the South African economy expanded by 3.1% quarter on quarter during 2019's second quarter. This was welcome relief for the economy that's projected to grow by a mere 0.6% in 2019, indicating a much stronger outcome than expected and allowed South Africa to ward off a dreaded recession. The largest contributor to the quarter-on-quarter recovery in GDP was a 14.4% quarter-on-quarter rebound in mining activity, the first positive quarter-on-quarter reading in a year. Economist at PwC, Christopher Yun, explained. Well, it's definitely good news, the data we got this week. It showed that after the economy contracted in the first quarter, there was actually positive growth in the second quarter. And that obviously removes us from that recession nameplate, which is very good news. Although we are still very much concerned about the health of the economy, even though we avoided the recession, economic growth is still very, very low. So it's not really something to get too excited about. When you say it's nothing really to get excited about, what do you mean? Are we not yet out of the woods? Is the economy not as healthy as it should be at the moment? We are certainly not out of the woods yet. Expectations for economic growth this year for the full calendar year is about 0.6%, 0.7%, maybe 0.8%. Now, our population growth is closer to 1.4%, So that means our economy is not growing to keep up with where the population is growing. And that has actually been the case for the past four or five years. So what we're seeing is positive growth, but really not enough to make an impact on the challenges that our country faces at this stage. And at the current growth rate, we're not going to make an impact on inequality, on poverty and on unemployment, which is just continuing to rise. Now, when we unpack the data that we uh, got from StatsSA regarding the different sectors that have actually made inroads while others actually dropped, talking about mining, was this expected? I think the expectation was definitely for mining to make a bigger contribution. The first quarter mining was a big negative and the second quarter mining was a big positive. Now, one of the elements we think of there is the significant increase in iron ore production and also platinum group metals. That's been supported just by increased activity at the mines, but also an improved pricing environment. Iron ore in particular has seen its price increase by more than 70% over the past year. So that was definitely expected. The second largest contributor to the growth in the second quarter was the finance and banking sector, which has for a long time been a very, very dependable growth sector for South Africa. It might not be for the foreseeable future as dependable. We've seen lots of stories about banks deciding to close down banks, uh, banking operations, 
different branches in certain areas where there's less demand. But for now, I think the positive growth was certainly better than expected, but it was certainly along the lines of what analysts were thinking in terms of what mining and banking, for example, would contribute. Now, in terms of year-on-year, in the other sectors that actually uh, showed losses, what can we deduce from this? Well, the, the broader perspective on the economy at this stage is that, yes, we are seeing positive growth, but most certainly not enough and also below our potential. Uh, the first quarter obviously had a big shock from load shedding, which we were able to avoid during the second quarter. Every now and again, we see warnings that load shedding could creep in again, could happen in the, in the rest of the third quarter, maybe even the fourth quarter. So we are sitting with this one big challenge hanging around the neck of, of the business community, the electricity problem, in between obviously many other challenges. So the foreseeable future, our economic growth will probably be stuck at about 1% per year, maybe 1.5%. And that is just not enough to remedy the challenges in our country. Uh, to get for us, to get us beyond the 1.5% towards 2, 2.5%, we need to make lots of big changes. And the document that the National Treasury brought out last week is a big indication of the extent of changes that we need. Uh, so the, the challenges are a lot. The, the battle is quite uphill for us at this stage. We've got the correct people making good plans, but in South Africa, we're used to making good plans. We just need to implement them, and that is where we often fall short. Um, Our economy at this stage is growing very, very slow because we are not good at implementing the plans that we have. So implementation for now is our biggest obstacle towards getting this economy on a faster growth track. Now, uh, projecting in 2020, especially when we have the data of the second quarter in mind, would 0.6% still what we should expect when we uh, look back on the country's economy and how it has performed? I think most economists will probably revise higher their growth projections for this year. Even the Reserve Bank, which was quite conservative with a growth projection of only 0.6% growth for this year, they would probably look at the surprise second quarter data and think maybe economic growth will be better this year. And that could even support a faster growth rate in 2020. However, if you look at the current forecast for how much this economy will grow next year, it is a very, very widespread. Some people think we'll only grow by 0.5%. Other forecasts grow to more than 2%. It's just this big level of uncertainty about key policy decisions, about key leadership decisions, about key changes that we need in the country. So for me, it is, it's quite difficult to consider exactly what the growth rate could be in 2020. There's still quite a few months left of this year where many things can happen. Uh, it's going to be a challenge at this stage to look 12 months ahead with any amount of certainty. And that in itself is a challenge. As a business, as a household, as a consumer, you want to be able to think, where will we be in 12 months from now before I make a decision on investment and spending? And that kind of clarity is just not available at this stage, which for me is a big concern. We need certainty in so many areas where it is actually just not happening as quickly as necessary. That is Christopher Yoon, economist at PwC, on the line talking there to Tuto Ngobeni. 
Medical experts in South Africa have highlighted the importance of maintaining the health of our kidneys to avoid chronic kidney disease. The country is this week marking Kidney Awareness Week, an annual campaign aimed at raising awareness about the early detection and prevention of kidney failure and the importance of uh, kidney health. Dr. Brett Kallis, a nephrologist at the Life Hilton Private Hospital in Guazul Natal province, explains what the functions of kidneys are in human body. So the kidneys are the body's main way of getting rid of waste products. So anything that we eat that the body doesn't need, most of that will be cleared through the kidneys, but also the body makes a number of toxins during the day and the kidney gets rid of those toxins. And it's when the kidneys aren't working that those toxins build up in the body and that's what tends to make patients unwell when they get kidney failure. What are some of the signs and symptoms of kidney disease, doctor? And at what point should one seek medical assistance? So unfortunately, the kidneys actually have got a lot of reserve and they will continue to work and you will feel fine usually until you've lost about 90% of your kidney function. And once you reach that point, then you start to feel unwell. And the signs and symptoms are that you sometimes get leg swelling, you get short of breath, you lose your appetite. Often patients feel they get a lot of itching, the skin, and generally just feel overall unwell. But unfortunately, because you've lost 90% of your function already by that stage, we often can't make it better. So it's far more important that people actually have their kidney disease picked up earlier. And the only way to pick it up earlier is through screening of urine, so using urine dipstick tests checking blood pressure and doing a blood test called a creatinine or urea test. Now, the impact of kidney disease and the potential risks that are associated with the condition. Talk to us about that. So kidney disease, unfortunately, your kidneys are very important for getting rid of waste products. So once you lose your kidneys, we have to go into an artificial form of life support, which we call kidney dialysis. And kidney dialysis is able to remove a fair number of the toxins, but unfortunately is not as good as our own kidneys. So patients can be, can be kept alive on dialysis for many years, but often they feel quite unwell. They don't feel nearly as good as they would do if their kidneys were working. So kidney dialysis will keep people functioning, but unfortunately not at a, an optimal level. If they are lucky, then patients can hopefully get on to getting a kidney transplant. And a kidney transplant can actually take patients back to feeling like they would do if they were completely had normal kidney function. Transplant works like a normal kidney. Educate us also on the possible effects of kidney disease such as muscle cramps, poor appetite and swelling. When the kidneys aren't working, those toxins build up. And so patients do often feel unwell with muscle cramps. That is quite a common symptom that patients get. They also get it commonly when they're on dialysis. The lack of appetite is one of the main features that we know when someone's got bad kidney failure. They tend not to eat very well. They don't feel like eating and they eat small quantities and also often their food doesn't taste normal. It tastes a bit metallic. Those are the main symptoms that patients get and that's usually when the kidneys are at what we would call end stage. You've been touching on the various treatment options that are available for patients who are suffering from kidney disease, but I'd like you to please elaborate on that. We've got to do something to remove the toxins from the bloodstream, and so there's two different types of dialysis. The first type is what we call hemodialysis, where the blood is taken out from a a vein. It goes through a machine that filters it, and that blood is then replaced, and that's usually done three times a week, usually for about four hours. 
And the other way of treating it is with peritoneal dialysis. What we do there is we use the lining of the abdomen or the stomach to work like a kidney. And we put fluid into the tummy and the body actually works like a kidney in that area. Both forms of treatment are as effective as each other. The hemodialysis needs to be done in a dialysis center, so usually in a hospital or a, a dialysis center, whereas peritoneal dialysis can actually be done at home. So that's more suited to patients that want to be at home, want to be working, want to be going to school. But the best form of kidney dialysis treatment or kidney failure treatment is a kidney transplant by far and away. It gives the best survival, gives the best quality of life, and ideally that's what we should aim for for any patient who is able to go on to doing a kidney transplant. Is there a role that family members and friends have to play in supporting those who are suffering from kidney disease? Having kidney failure is very difficult. Patients lose a lot of their lifestyle. They often, especially if they go into hemodialysis, can't work. They often feel unwell through most of their life. Family is extremely important for supporting them, understanding that they need help with some of their day-to-day living the family are also very important at helping get the patients to and from dialysis. And also if the patients are doing peritoneal dialysis at home, very often a family member can be of assistance in that regard. But certainly the best way that family and friends can help a patient with kidney failure is actually to donate a kidney. You know, to donate a kidney, it's safer to donate a kidney than it is to drive to the operation to have that kidney transplant done. It's a very safe operation. Which now brings me to the psychosocial consideration when renal dialysis is required. Please touch on that. The patients often, they feel very unwell, both clinically, but also they lose a lot of their ability to work, a lot of their self-esteem. So patients find it very difficult to adjust to being on dialysis, especially as it, it often comes out of the blue. They don't know that they've got kidney failure and suddenly they're told that they need to be doing hemodialysis three times a week. So patients find it very difficult to adjust to that, especially young patients, patients in their teens and early 20s, they have to restrict their life so significantly, they find it very difficult. In many of the units, we actually employ a a psychologist who's involved with the patients that get kidney failure to try and help them to adjust to this change in their life. That is Dr. Brett Kallis, a nephrologist at Life Hilton Private Hospital in South Africa's KwaZulu-Natal province. On the line talking there to Elizabeth Lidija. That brings us to 17.45 Central African time. Let's get to economics news. Here's Tracy Pumgat. Thank you, Leander. Ghana's gross domestic product for agriculture is expected to rise to 6.9% this year, up from 6.1% in 2017. This is according to the country's president, Nana Akufo-Addo. Akufo-Addo told their presidential summit at the African Green Revolution Forum that his agricultural transformation plan, dubbed Planting for Food and Jobs, is beginning to bear fruit and that his country is now more food sufficient compared to when he took office. Nane Anan, the widow of former UN Secretary General Kofi Annan, who is attending the WEF WEF meeting in South Africa says she will spearhead the use of the orange-fleshed sweet potato, a nutritious variety of sweet potato in Africa. 
Kofi Annan, who died a year ago, founded the Alliance for Green Revolution in Africa in 2006. It promotes agriculture transformation on the continent. Nane Annan says nutrition is key to a healthy society. Conflicts, uncertain global markets and above all climate change are threatening Africa's hunger eradication efforts. These challenges are complex. We need to make agriculture attractive for the new young generation of Africans, young women and men, and harness the energy and entrepreneurial spirit. Progress will be greatest, my husband would say, if we build strong partnerships and put smallholder farmers, particularly women farmers, at the center of our efforts. Villages in a northern Cameroonian town has called on Chinese gold miners to stop destroying their environment and looting their land. They say they are poorer now than when than what they were before the Chinese arrived. Cattle ranchers and farmers from villages around the northern Cameroonian town of Meganga says if nothing is done, famine may strike in the not-too-distant future. 54-year-old cattle rancher Mamadou Poro. Poro says he wants the government of Cameroon to know that they no longer want Chinese miners and their workers who have made them poorer than they were before mining started in their villages seven years ago. He says the miners destroy farms and do not even care to cover holes and trenches they dig on roads and cattle ranches before leaving. He says they want the Chinese to build the roads they destroyed and fill the trenches they dug, give them electricity and at least a school and a market before leaving. South African Finance Union SASBO says its planned banking strike on the 27th of September will see a total shutdown of all banking services, including ATMs. SASBO Secretary-General Joe Kokela says members of the public may not be able to access funds on the day of the strike as ATMs will only be replenished after the strike. All 73,000 SASBO members will down tools in protest against the planned retrenchments in the banking sector as well as against what they call corporate greed. Koleka says the financial institutions displayed an arrogant attitude during negotiations where they were not willing to consider other alternatives before deciding on retrenchments. He says all of the country's four major banks will be affected by the strike. So total shutdown, it means that anything and other thing that has to do with uh, banking, it's going to be on a standstill. Our members are not going to replenish those ATMs. Our members are going to make sure that uh, uh, there's nothing that is going to work on that day. So even ATMs, people might go there, and uh, the unfortunate part is that they might uh, get nothing on the ATMs. The ATMs will only be replenished when people are going back to work. The Indian government has assured car makers that it will not ban vehicles running on petrol or diesel. But the road transport minister, Nitin Gadkari, says it was considering reducing taxes on low-emission hybrid vehicles. The government think tank had suggested that petrol and diesel vehicles should not be sold after 2030, triggering alarm in the industry, which is facing a crippling slowdown. Major car makers have already slashed production and laid off workers, 
One of the largest companies, Tata Motors, says it's reduced vehicle production by more than 50% in August. The U.S. dollar is trading at 357.50 Nigerian Naira, 10.85 Botswana Pula, at 102.62 Kenyan Shilling, and at 13.06 Zambian Kwacha. In BRICS currencies, one U.S. dollar will cost you 4.13 Brazilian Hail, 66.38 Russian Ruble, 72 Indian Rupee, 7.15 Chinese Yuan, and at 14.90 South African Rand. The U.S. dollar is also trading at 82 pence to the British pound and at 90 cents to the euro. Gold is trading at $1,545 and platinum at $991 per ounce. The price of Brent crude oil is $60.63 a barrel. For Channel Africa News, I'm Tracy Bumgard. Let's say thank you very much there to Tracy and uh, Neto is going to tell us that Bafana Bafana do not have an opponent yet again. He's here. Thank you, Luanda, from the Sports Desk. A very good afternoon. Starting off with football news. Bafana Bafana's friendly match against Madagascar this Saturday has been called off after the African island nation decided to withdraw from the encounter. Bafana were originally set to face Zambia in Lusaka as part of their warm-up fixtures before their crucial AFCON qualifiers in November, but the match was cancelled on Tuesday when Zambia withdrew citing xenophobic violence in South Africa. The South African Football Association, SAFA, hastily arranged a replacement in the form of Madagascar and even announced a free entry for supporters attending the fixture at Orlando Stadium in Soweto, south of Johannesburg. SAFA also confirmed the cancellation on their official Twitter account at Bafana Bafana this afternoon. Baroka FC head coach Watson Yerenda believes the development of the women's game in his home country of Zambia is on the right track. Nyerenda cited the Zambia Senior Women's Society's 2019 Kosafa Women's Cup and the 2020 Olympic qualifier campaigns. The Copper Queens made their first Kosafa Cup final in Port Elizabeth in the Eastern Cape province last month, but lost to the host nation South Africa. The team also had technically qualified for the second round of qualifying for Tokyo 2020 after beating Zimbabwe 5-0 in the first leg at the end of August, followed by a walkover in the return leg after the Mighty Warriors abandoned the fixture due to their own internal issues earlier this month. Yaranda says things are promising. We have moved a big mileage. I think we are doing very well under Bruce Mope and uh, the other coaches in the youth. It's not the senior team only. I think they are uh, also the under 20s and the, the other age groups, they are doing very well. And uh, you can imagine we do not have uh, a league in Zambia yet. But uh, if you see the team playing like that, I think we have a heart, we have good organization. We need to reorganize ourselves, bring the league for the girls. Uh, like South Africa has just done now. And uh, congrats to Ellis here in South Africa and uh, the Safa. They are doing very well in terms of their women's football. I'm so impressed with what they're doing. 
Nirenda applauded the South African Football Association, SAFA, for eventually kick-starting with the National Women's League in 2019. The former Chipolopolo mentor, however, believes it may take much longer than it did South Africa for Zambia to have a women's league as the men's division structures are also struggling. I wouldn't even comment on that because I think uh, we are looking at even the men's, men's leagues, the second division, the first divisions, and other leagues. If we look at the money pumped in there, I think uh, we need to do better, better than that, uh, if we need to uh, get to the real international standards like uh, many big, big, big states. Uh, yeah, uh, women's league. I don't know when it will come. I don't know. I cannot even predict. And finally, in rugby news, former captain Adrian Strauss believes that the Springboks have what it takes to go the distance at the 2019 Rugby World Cup in Japan. The 33-year-old served as former coach Alistair Kudzia's first bog skipper throughout the 2016 international season, and he was also on the field of play on the day the box was stunned by Japan at the 2015 World Cup in Brighton. With 66 test matches to his name, Strauss has seen just about all there is to see on a rugby field. Kickoff on Friday is at 20 as 12:15 Central African time. The Box World Cup opener will be on Saturday, the 21st of September, against the defending champions All Blacks in Yokohama. Thank you for choosing Channel Africa for Channel Africa Sport. I'm Neto Neto Chemani. I say thank you very much there to Neto Chemane. That brings us to the end of the show. For this hour, we are back at 19 hours Central African time. And do comment on the show. It's info at channelafrica.co.za. And on Channel Africa, it's Channel Africa 1 on Twitter. And on WhatsApp, it's plus 277-6300-3327. Let's play you out now with the music of Spoon Noah. This one is called Ewe Ketsemani. Enjoy. Come on. Hey.
landira limoni pa programu ino ya zochitika mu Afrika pa chinyanja service ya Channel Africa. Tukumvega maiko wa Mozambiki, Malawi, Zimbabwe ndi Zambia. Mutakutipe za pa DSTV pa channel 8